Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Crossing Silos, promoting critical thinking with epistemic insight. The podcast that explores how we shatter subject silos and construct an education that is truly multidisciplinary. My name is Robert Campbell, and I will be your host throughout the podcast series. Through these podcasts, my guests and I will discuss the value of moving beyond a compartmentalised approach to education. In each episode, special guests will showcase how they engage with the Epistemic Insight project, how Epistemic Insight frames their view of education, and how they use Epistemic Insight to influence their teaching of their chosen subject. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some thought-provoking discussion. Dear listeners, to the second episode of our podcast for all things epistemically insightful. Today we are in the lower floors of St Mary's University and I am privileged to be joined by my colleague Sarah Batty who leads the history PGCE at St Mary's University and has done so for a number of years. So Sarah, perhaps you could talk me through your initial journey to this project and getting involved with EI and what initially drew you to Epistemic Insight. Good afternoon, Rob. Yes, thank you. And thank you for inviting me to be part of this. My journey. um, Well, my journey started before the project, actually. Um, When your predecessor, one of the science team, asked me would I work collaboratively with him on a project involving science and history. And unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, we didn't get that off the ground. Um, I was working part-time, the history course was new, and although we were both very enthusiastic, it didn't happen. Fast forwards uh, your arrival, and you asked me the same question, and I I was in a position that I was then able to do it. So I said yes, and I would very much like to, to be involved with the project and I think it from that initial discussion and collaboration we've come together and we now have a workshop that we're proud of I would say and something that we are keen to keep developing. Perfect so yeah we've looked at um, how we can collaborate together and um, listeners you may recall from the previous episode we briefly introduced the idea of the Titanic. So this was a, a natural tool for us to kind of look at this from a variety of lenses. So from my scientific lens and, and you yourself from your history lens. So perhaps you could talk us through the, the initial steps that we took and what our initial thought process was way back when, when we started this journey, I believe it was pre-COVID, we were upstairs in the Waldgrave room. We were all, I remember there being Christmas trees out. It was all very festive. So exactly, you could talk us through that process. Yes, most definitely. I mean, yes, you're right. It was uh, the academic year 2019, 2020. 
And we had an initial discussion, uh, I believe it was in my office actually, um, saying how, how does science and history come together? And we, we were discussing the concept of inquiry and how we both approached it. So from that, we used uh, an existing question that had come from the Epistemic Insight Project. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. But that is the question, why did the Titanic sink? And our initial discussions were how history would come to that for using the, the history lens, which would be very much on a, a social um, focus. Uh, people who had made the mistakes that time in terms of engineering or the captain not heeding the iceberg warning, etc. And then from the science uh, lens and the science perspective, what would your trainees really home in on? And yes, so we, we, we did plan it and we pulled out our resources together. And I remember using some resources that were made available to all students of history from the National Archives. And, and on we went. Um, but I have to say that that first delivery uh, had its shortcomings. Um, neither of us felt very pleased with it in terms of the student engagement. And so, as, as we would, uh, we reflected on that and we started to think, well, what, what hadn't gone right? Why hadn't they got more out of it than we wanted? And, it, and, and, and was it the focus that we had, had put on the session or was it the delivery from us? And was, was it the resources that we were using? Or, or, or had, had it been part of the planning? Had we not given it sufficient planning time and really thinking about what we wanted to get from it? So we then, um, yeah, we were then replanned, restructured it. And I think when we we'd had that, some of the discussions afterwards, some of the planning sessions afterwards, we really focused, I, I, I remember, on outcome. As, as any educationalist would, would, would have you, it's the outcome. What do we want our students to take away from this? And it was more, it was two-pronged, two two-leveled. Yes, we wanted them to understand epistemic insight as a concept but we also wanted them to really think about how could our disciplines really contribute to that that inquiry that big question and not just at a surface level but at a really deep fuller level and I think that's what we were taking into our planning for the second session. Yeah I think if I, I look back I remember when we initially started planning we were talking about um, inquiry, mm -hmm. but we had different slides and we both came to that meeting with slides, if you remember, and one of us, I forget who, but one of us had spelt inquiry with an I and one of us had spelt inquiry with an E. And initially I was just looking at that thinking, well, one of us has given an American spelling and one of us has given a British spelling. So one is correct in this British context and one is Americanized. And actually, it was a really eye-opening experience for me that the way that you as an historian would define inquiry was separate and distinct from the way that I as a scientist would define inquiry. And I think we used that as a tool for our first lecture. But on reflection, what I didn't do is think, OK, that's interesting for me. But is it interesting or of value for these pre-service teachers who are about to go and teach a bunch of 14-year-olds who come with this lens of 
okay, but tomorrow I'm going to teach uh, physics and electricity, or tomorrow I'm going to teach, excuse my ignorance about the history curriculum, but 1066 or the, the reasons for uh, the World War One starting or whatever it might be. And when we looked at the feedback that we got from the trainees, it was, well, this is an interesting thing, but I don't really see how it's going to influence my day-to-day practice. So it's something that was potentially a nice experience to have. They were very complimentary of the room and the physical place in which we did the session and the fact that there was a Christmas tree there and there was a nice roaring fryer and it was a beautiful place for them to take photographs before they went on their Christmas holiday. But it wasn't really a session which impacted and empowered them to move forward with with the eye. Um, And so I agree with you. There was this initial level of disappointment from us um, but also perhaps like dissatisfaction so we paused didn't we covid happened uh, and during covid we were dynamic and flexible but we fundamentally had to restructure our entire curriculum for online delivery so if you remember we paused the project for a year um we both had really, really large cohorts <laughs> that year and had different things to cope with, if I recall. Um, in science, we had around 50 trainees. And I know in history, you went up to 30-something, 40-something. Mm-hmm. So workload went in different places. <laughs> um, and then we revisited it last year, didn't we? So what was different from last year? Because we're now sitting here smiling, having a tool and a resource that we're pretty proud of. I think many things. I, fa- I think the fact that we... We replanned, we, we restructured it, we really did put more thinking into what do we want out of this session and how are we going to get it. But we were also online for this particular session because even though we had gone back to um, some in-person teaching, some of our sessions were still delivered online via Zoom and, and ours was one of those. And I think Certainly from my perspective, I was a little bit disappointed, thinking, how are we going to do this? This is a session that needs to be very active. This is a session where we need in person. We need to be in a room. But I actually think it worked very well for a lot of reasons. Um, The fact that something simple like the chat box function on a Zoom call, I think was really, really strong and helped us. Because when we posed the question, why did the Titanic sink, all trainees, all our student trainees could answer simultaneously. And so we had that variety, that that breadth of of knowledge and understanding, but the different lenses coming through and they could see it in real time. Um, And that was something we used and that was our starting point. I like the idea that we then used the breakout rooms and we mixed our training. Well, we didn't mix them to begin with. We had our own trainees in terms of our own subject disciplines. Then we mixed them. Um, and, they, and we really gave them a lot of opportunity to discuss. But I think the way that we structured our, our actual lecture and, and the accompanying PowerPoint around it um, brought more of the uh, epistemic insight project features to it than perhaps we had done or I had certainly done in that first time through. So I think all combined, um, the level of discussion, et cetera, et cetera, gave us a really good good session and they got more, more from it.
No, I think it was us as well. We, we planned, as I keep saying. Um, I felt my planning was better. Perhaps my understanding was better. I had done more reading in that two-year period. Um, and all that we've done, I, I, I do want to say, I mean, it was, it was nothing totally innovative from, from my, my, my side. I mean, I really feel within this project, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. I'm using Barry Billingsley's work on why did the Titanic sink? And, and building on that within the context of the trainees that I'm, I'm working with. Um, was it the trainees? I'm not sure. We'll have, we'll have to answer that one when we, we, we do it in a few months' time with the next lot of trainees. Yeah, we, we, we <laughs> revisit it again coming up soon. So this one will, will be face-to-face mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it won't be online. So it's, it's interesting to me that you said actually the chat box really worked quite well. And I wonder if that's because potentially there was a slight anonymity to what they were saying. So the fear of saying something incorrect was actually removed potentially because, yes, it appears in the chat box, but if we're getting 70 people to do it very quickly, it falls away into the ether, doesn't it? As the, the, the people who press the enter key slightly later are, are adding their, their answers. So I think it's inclusive as well. I mean, if and, and this is something... When we go on to discuss how are we, what are the next steps? How are we going to deliver it again? What do we want out of it? And I've been thinking on this. You know, if we are back in person, and we ask some of those initial questions, even even the big question, why did the Titanic sink? Our natural um, process, isn't it, in a classroom, is we would ask a question, one person would answer, then we would ask others to contribute. What do you think, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, the way that we use questioning. What I really liked about the chat box was that the fact, as I say, that everybody could ask, uh, answer simultaneously. So everybody could write what they thought, even if it, it, it wasn't particularly useful for later on. Mm. But in that way, it was very inclusive. So I, I like that idea. Yeah, brilliant. So we're moving forward slightly to this year and we're shaking it up again. We're... we're, <laughs> we're Never, we're happy, but we're never completely satisfied. So we're reflexively considering how we can improve and develop and, and further refine the session. So we've been opportunistic and dynamic in our um, considerations and we're inviting our RE colleagues into the space. So I wonder what additional voice did they bring into the conversation? Firstly, in how the Titanic sank, but then secondly, in terms of supporting your history trainees to develop a multi or even interdisciplinary understanding. I think that's a big question in it in itself. Um, what can the RE trainees bring? Could they bring a sense of ethics? Um, could they bring a sense of perspective through that lens? I think that is something that we need to sit down with, with Rachel and our RE colleague and, and really think about. And I'm, I'm excited to hear what, what she would have to say in, in response even to that, that, that inquiry question. Um, but I think as, as, a, as a project, as an initiative, we, all disciplines have that opportunity to learn from each other because that's what I would say from that, 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 that successful uh, delivery session that a lot of the history trainees came away really buzzing about what the science input had been. Mm -hmm. Because it, because we get so entrenched, don't we, at times, 
uh, into our own subject discipline, our own, our own substantive knowledge and our own disciplinary knowledge. And that's what I really, really enjoy about working on the project and working with you is it, it opens up that. And, and yes, we know that we work cross, in a cross-curricular uh, way. We know that. But it's, it's, it's going deeper than that and it's providing that opportunity. So I don't know. I'm sitting on the fence here. I'm waiting to hear from Rachel, but I am excited by it. <laughs> well, you can see the smile beaming in your face and the enthusiasm that you have, which is great to see. Something that's just prompted into my, my head as I remember back to that, that winter's day at the Walter Grave Room. Um, if I remember correctly, one of your historians at the time had previously worked in the Navy. And so right. one of the conversations we briefly had was, would the consequences of the Titanic happen today? Or have the technological developments that we've had over the last hundred years kind of intervene and prevent that terrible accident from happening? And if I remember the story correctly, he was saying that the technological advances that we now have within the Navy would mean that the iceberg would have been recognised an artificial intelligence or some entity of technology that, I have to say, I don't really understand, would intervene and steer the ship away from the iceberg and prevent catastrophe. So I'm wondering if actually that's another place that AI can have an input, because are we losing our agency and our autonomy as individuals and are we now in a place where we're trusting technology too much? And is the power of technology superseding the power of history? And I know we were talking about previously when we spoke, there's this catchphrase of history never repeats itself. So I'm wondering kind of from your historical lens, how we use the history of the fact that that episode happened to inform our individual actions as individuals. Do we do that? That's a big question. Thank you. Um, I would I would say there's a lot there. I mean, in the hundred plus years since the Titanic sank, obviously there's been lots of innovation on technology, uh, etc. And I would also say in terms of uh, legalities. And as a, as an aside, I mean, I, I was in Ireland um, in the summer. And uh, my husband and I took our car and we took the ferry. And on as we boarded the ferry, <laughs> I looked and said, "Do you think there are enough lifeboats? Do you know for if if anything were to happen?" To which I was, you know, <laughs> told it's only an hour or two hours or three hours, what have you. But I but joking aside, I mean, there's there's the advances in technology, but there's the advantages in the legalities of things. So safeguarding, there would be the the amount of um, life vests, etc., etc. But if you think about the Titanic, um, part of part of the the failure of 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 that liner ship to make it to America were the circumstances coming together of an iceberg, etc. But it it was or it has been attributed to lack of communication between people on board. I don't want to push this at the. The, the feet of the captain, the captain's error, 
I, I don't have enough uh, evidence for that myself. I'm not on a firm basis for that. But I think there is a very human element in that. And um, no, I don't think technology, however advanced it will come with, with, with AI, uh, would ever replace that, that human capacity. And, and, and rightly so, because history, history is about people. History is about the decisions we make. History is about um, the factors that influence those decisions. And for me, that is part of what makes historical understanding, which is the, the essence of history. Long, um, long answer to a question. Oh, no, but brilliant. <laughs> and so eloquently put, thank you. So I was just kind of wondering, um, from a perspective of you as a history educator now, what influence has being on this journey had to your day-to-day practice with your trainees? So not necessarily when we're working collaboratively, but when you're on your own in the history room lecturing at nine o'clock on a Wednesday morning, what influence has this being on this project had on your, your practice? Many things, many things, but I will pin it down to, to two. And I go back to one point is, is, is not to become entrenched or have a tunnel vision of your subject, but to realise that the other disciplines around us, you know, for me, the other seven here at St Mary's, but, but even beyond that, um, to incorporate them and to bring them into my teaching to then impact on my trainees' teaching of their pupils. Now, I'm not saying that we don't do that. I mean, when I'm teaching, for example, um, causes of the First World War, the First World War, I'm very much one who would like to bring in in film, both um, British documentary, but feature film and poetry, the war poets, um, bringing in, in lots of different elements. So it's it's there, but I'd see that as more cross-curricular. I, I would like to, what I would like to do is to bring in science as a discipline in a, in a fuller capacity. But the other way um, is to keep my students curious and for them to keep their pupils curious, because that I think is the essence of uh, an essence of history as well. Um, that curiosity, uh, I think Barry calls it sometimes the thirst for knowledge, which we which we have. But the the idea of to be curious and to want to know more, which reminds me um, of the national curriculum frameworks, where it states that the the purpose of history is to fire our pupils' curiosity. So that, that's what keeps me going on a, on a Wednesday morning at nine o'clock. Oh, firing <laughs> it up so that we, we, we don't need the central heating on <laughs> and a, on a cold November morning. But. but to have the questions, to have the curiosity to ask the questions and to have the curiosity to think about how can we answer them and not just to rely on history to answer the history questions, but to bring in other, those other disciplines as well. Thing. And w- one of the things I'm working with you, Sarah, in particular, is uh, through this project, for me personally, I've come to the realisation, and it was kind of a light bulb moment, but also quite obvious, that we can look at a scenario such as the Titanic sinking, um, such as the causes of World War II or what it may be, and actually, dependent upon the lens that we look upon that question, that will influence the answer and the conclusion that we come to. 
So with the, going back to the Titanic, if I look at that as a scientific lens, well, the fault, number one, is in the rivets and the bolts and the actual engineering of that boat and the fact that the impact has such significant effect as it did. And, and correct me and feel free to disagree with what I'm about to say, but from a historical lens, you might say, well, the captain had a lot to do it. He was the one that was in charge of of driving the boat and he was the one who was so keen about trying to get the world record and but actually equally from a media studies perspective perhaps that that had a lens because there was a lot of advertisement at the time correct me again if i'm wrong about the fact that the ship was unsinkable and it was this perfect ship and there was never going to be a problem and therefore we we didn't need the lifeboats because the ship was in and of itself unsinkable and and I wonder the extent to which being involved in this project helps you not to silence out the other voices, but to clearly and simplistically articulate the historical voice to these scenarios. Most definitely. Yes. Yes. But for part of this project, I want to... To, to, to bring in the science voice. Because I think if you were to ask that bunch of his, uh, history trainees, as we did, why did the Titanic sink? They would focus in on what I would term would be the, the, the history lens, the history responses, the, the people. Not many of them. That one trainee aside from two years ago who was in the, the Merchant Navy who answered everything. We were thinking, no, 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 no. Go in with the scientists. You know, other than that, no, other than he, him, nobody ever really got into the scientific lens of looking at the rivets, the bolts, the engineering, which was a, a, key, a key factor. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's about promoting the history voice, but not at the expense of others. It's really promoting those other voices as well, alongside. So work, working and walking in parallel. Oh, that's such a, a, a lovely analogy. Thank you. And it's, it's so nice to hear that you're not trying to silence those other voices, that you recognise the autonomy of your historical lens, but you also value um, other disciplinary lenses and the, the analogy that I've, I've used before I believe in the podcast is kind of a, a slightly bad scientific one but the more and more lenses I add the sharper the image becomes mm -hmm. and so actually getting to that stage where you're adding more than a singular lens you're moving from that blurry partially visible scenario to one that's more crystal or I would say we're looking at the, a big picture but I only have one of the pieces. So with your scientific lens and the RE lens and the media lens, I'm building up, I've got the pieces to build up my big picture. Can I just say as well, will you ask what, what it means to me? It, it's, it's pushed me out of my comfort zone. Um, you, you know my, my <laughs> not my thoughts on science, but, but my experiences of, from my own schooling on science, which weren't particularly good. Um, which I probably have carried with me as I've, as I've, as I've gone through education. Um, so it's been really interesting. And, and, and that, that gives me 
something to be excited about, to to move out of my comfort zone, and and to know that you know, science is okay. <laughs> well, there there's a big bombshell moment, isn't it? Well, perhaps I could push you on that a little bit because that's really interesting. Because you're right, you had told me that before, but I I kind of forgotten that about your identity because you are so passionate about voicing a range of disciplines. So perhaps you can talk through how you've got to that place where, and I'm going to use a really poor term of phrase, you've been able to have that baggage or that, that rucksack where you had your personal experiences of science as a child, but you've almost been able to leave that behind and still empower your trainees to consider the scientific lens. So perhaps you could talk through your story of how you've got to that stage of valuing the scientific lens. Okay, I, I would say it, it, I was, I'm in a place where I feel very, very comfortable with history, obviously. Um, it, it's, it's part of me. It's, a sec, it's second nature. So how did I really open, open my mind, if you like, to, to the science um, and to the scientific approach? And I think that was, that was from working together with your predecessor and we weren't just working together as part of the PGC secondary team we were working together on a particular module within that and so through chats um yeah he he got me interested and I think I was thinking oh you know coming back to that curiosity oh that, that, that science is it's quite all right isn't it it's quite interesting and asked questions and then when you came and we did, I have to say, with your natural enthusiasm for, for learning, for developing, for pushing, um, and I say pushing, pushing people on in their learning, um, that really had a, a, an impact on me. And I have to be honest, there were times when I was thinking, You're push- you, Rob, are pushing me too fast. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to leave my comfort zone yet. Um, but you, are, you've, you were and always are extremely supportive. And I think that enabled me as well to go, okay, what is this project about? Okay, I don't need to know so much science. I need to just be open to how how we can work with science. So a combination of all those things um, has, has opened me and opened my mind, which you would think as an educationalist, my mind would be open. I thought it was, but there's always that potential for it to be opened even more. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. That's such an insightful comment. So... Is that empowering for the trainees, I wonder? You know, that idea that actually to be able to value any multidisciplinary approach or EI in particular, it's okay that I'm not an expert in every single discipline. Most definitely, most definitely. And I think if you you think where we take our trainees or when we meet them, they are graduates of our, our discipline. They are experts in a particular uh, field within that, thinking of their dissertations and the niche areas they've done. And so then we're saying, um, okay, now, now, now step out of your comfort zone. So yes, I think it is very empowering for them. And baby steps. Yeah, very much so. Baby steps. That's what, I, that's what I've learned from working in this project, I think. Well... Sarah, I think we will probably leave it there. Thank you so much for your time and excuse the pun, but sharing your insights <laughs> on the Epistemic Insight Project. Sarah, 
Thank you so much. And listeners, adieu for now. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.